This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back tomorrow after her family day weekend. And we want to hear about your family life on this family day. 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. We know that in 2020, there are all kinds of variations on the family beyond the traditional nuclear family of a husband, wife, and two children. Uh, So we thought we would bring in an expert to have this conversation with us. Dr. Natasha Sharma is a relationship and parenting expert. She joins us in studio to talk about family life and take your questions. Dr. Sharma, thank you for coming in. Uh, She is also the creator of the Kindness Journal. I've got your microphone on now so our listeners can hear you. Tell tell us about the Kindness Journal, first of all. Well, basically, I I created this as a way for people to establish greater sense of connection. Um, In 2016 is when we launched it, and it's a prompted journal. It takes just a few minutes each night to fill in. So for people who don't, like, kind of want to look at a blank page, the questions are there, and they're all based on scientific research designed to promote a more positive and more connected mindset, to to create acts of kindness in your life, but also to notice the acts of others, to, to be mindful in sort of your favorite moments of the day, and what this does. I guess the goal is to really establish a better sense of connection to oneself as well as to people, because I do think that that's something that's uh, lacking more today than... And it not only does it apply to family life, it applies to work life, every, every area of your life. Absolutely. You can cultivate a more positive mindset. It's not something that's set in stone from birth, according to our genes. We can actually reshape and we can. that. Well, that's fascinating because a lot of people will use the excuse that, oh, well, this is the way that I am. My grandfather was this way, so this is the way I've inherited this this type of behavior, this attitude. But that's not necessarily the case, you're saying? Not at all. Not at all. Now, with the rise of uh, the number of divorces, many children's, children are being brought up uh, by two parents, but in two separate households, mm-hmm. half the week with dad, half the week with mom. There are also many households with same-gender parents. Uh, this is the norm for some children now. Grandparents could be living in a multi-general household, taking part in raising of their children, of their grandchildren, um, after raising their children. I'm wondering, uh, as you're listening out there, do any of these scenarios reflect your family life and how is family life for you? 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You probably don't have exact numbers or percentages, but in terms of variations on families, uh, I would say there are, there are at least half that are different from the traditional nuclear family. I think it's safe to say that that number is is certainly significantly larger. Um, and we know that sort of at least the divorce separation statistic is about one in two. But that certainly there's a much more diverse uh, look to what a family looks like in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, for fam- and for children who are being brought up in separated divorced homes, um, that was the case with my children. Uh, they're now grown adults. They'll be 26 and 24 this year. They have great relationships 
relationships with myself and my ex-husband. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily mean that because you're coming from a divorced family that you're at a disadvantage mm-hmm. or that your family life wasn't as good as as families where both parents stayed married. Not, a, And I don't think it ever was. Um, I think that what is timeless in parenting is not so much the circumstances and the events that surround the family, but truly how uh, the t- what the top-down approach looks like. So how are the caregivers, the people in charge, the parents handling whatever the situation is, whether you have a sort of traditional two-parent family of a, of a husband and wife, or you have... Um, two moms or two dads or parents who are divorced and you spend part of your time in each home, what it has always come down to now and even for all previous generations is what is the emotional and mental fitness of the parents? Because if they're handling things in a healthy, uh, functional um, way that is conducive to giving the children what they need, which is love and safety, that hasn't changed. You know, that hasn't changed from 1920 to 2020. It's the same. Children love, uh, need warmth, they need love, they need security, they need safety and stability. So regardless of the circumstances and what the family makeup looks like, if that's there, then the chances of them developing into healthy, happy adults is very high. How do you, uh, as a parent who may be going through a separation or divorce, uh, reassure yourself uh, or get that information for yourself that you are doing right by your children? I think um, it's a little bit of a mixture of a gut instinct and also feedback from your children themselves. I think the proof is sort of in the pudding. Uh, Kids who Uh, No kids are perfect, but kids who are well-adjusted, and I use that term because it's very broad, you know, a well-adjusted child uh, can look like a a number of different things, but at the end of the day, they are able to do the things that a child is meant to do, play, eat, sleep, go to school, make friends, have fun with friends, have fun with their family. So if your child or teen, and this applies to older kids, it just, um, you know, evolves in terms of the depth of those activities, if they're engaged in healthy ways in a typical life of a child, then I think, you know, you can safely say you're probably doing something right um, and not over-scrutinize. I think that's one of the things that modern parenting um, is a little bit more about, is that over-self-scrutiny of one's own parenting. Right. It seems to me that uh, when I was a child, parents didn't worry and obsess about their kids uh, mm-hmm. the way that they do now. That, that's been an evolution where we've... I think it's more that... You know how once upon a time it was that children should be seen and not heard? Mm-hmm. Um, that is a total hundred, like yeah, the other direction it's of become, not good. <laughs> right. It's become, it's gone full circle from that, um, or at least half the other way uh, around where children are encouraged to be heard and have their voices heard, um, I guess, for their own developments as human beings. Mm-hmm. What what kinds of behavior in a situation where you have a separated or divorced family, you see types of behavior that would be of concern to you that you should get some assistance for your child? I think it's, um, if so, 
in, in terms of the behavior of the child. Like what, the right. Yeah. So what would be concerning behavior? So again, not engaging in things that would be typical of a, of a developing child. So if they are all of a sudden changing their behavior in some way that deviates significantly from who they normally are. So if they're all of a sudden eating a lot more, eating a lot less, or sleeping a lot more or less, those are sort of the first two things. If they all of a sudden don't want to go to school, but they had never had problems before, if they no longer want to hang out with friends or go outside the house or do... um, you know, the activities or the sports or whatever kind of hobbies that they have, they all of a sudden pull back from them and they just don't want to do them. Or if they kind of seem to be really down or nervous a lot of the time, just kind of in more negative moods. We All people experience negative moods, children included. But if those are amplified or seem to be too prolonged, then those are, of course, signs that maybe something's going on. Could this be manifested in physical symptoms as well? So there may not physically be something wrong with the child, but that's how mm-hmm. that's how uh, the stress is showing up in them. Mm-hmm. Typically, when stress is sort of uh, look how it looks physically is headaches and stomach aches. It can look in it can present in other ways physically, but those are sort of the most common body aches, um, really from top to bottom. So starting with your head to the stomach are the two sort of main areas. And yes, it it can, because some kids, I think, uh, don't feel able to articulate it or aren't even aware of themselves, but the body is aware, the mind is aware. So it, it, it's trying to tell the, the person behind it something, you know, we, we need something, we need to change something or something is bothering us. And here's what I'm trying to do to tell you that. (laughs) Right. Uh, you're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. It's a special Family Day edition. Jane for Libby and Dr. Natasha Sharma is joining me. She's the creator of the Kindness Journal and a relationship and parenting expert. And we certainly want to hear from you on this Family Day about your family life. If you've raised your children, what sort of things do you think that you did well as a parent? What sort of things do you feel a bit remorseful for uh, about or perhaps even regret? Uh, the great thing about radio is it's anonymous. And if you'd like to join in the conversation, sometimes just having that conversation can make you feel better, too, because all of a sudden you're not the only one having those feelings. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Sharma, um, I was reading on your website about anxiety in children, and this is an extension of what we've just been talking about, that it's much more of an issue than it used to be. Why Why is that the case? I think there's a number of reasons why we see anxiety going up, um, and it's been steadily on the rise. Uh, the first is that certainly the environment of children, uh, you know, a typical child's life has changed. It's much faster, just like our lives are faster. Their lives have become faster as well. And um, they are, I, I'm kind of a firm believer that children absorb particularly in the young years, mostly from the household. Uh, Later on, it becomes a bit more difficult. They become much more socialized by their environment. Um, But we do have, I think, one of the biggest changes or differences in parenting in now is that parents are very busy, and they're busier than they ever have been before. And I think that while a child doesn't necessarily need to be with their parents 24-7, the impact that a parent feels from not having enough time with their child 
can be very distressing. So mm-hmm. if you have two parents who are working, which is quite common, two parents who are working, you know, um, up to 10 hours a day with the commute, um, how they feel at the end of the day becomes something that transfers, that kids absorb, that kids pick up on those cues, and it becomes sort of the culture uh, of the home very unintentionally. And I think it's that sort of go, go, go pace of our modern society that has um, played a significant role in slowly but surely embedding that increased anxiety uh, in all of us, but definitely with kids as well. So we've talked about uh, some of the triggers. We've talked about how the triggers are manifested both emotionally and physically. What's the best course of action if you think that your youngster uh, maybe needs some professional assistance? I mean, we take our kids to the doctor all the time, but we don't think about psychotherapy for our kids, but that may be the answer. And at, at what age? That's a good question. I think with young kids, it's unless they're clearly in really significant distress, which would be, you know, they really just don't want to get up out of bed or leave the house type of thing. That's a type of situation where if it's a younger child, you would want to engage with some kind of professional help, a more play-based approach with a younger child and with an older child who has the cognitive and verbal skills to do more traditional talk therapy. Um, Or even just getting them involved in something that they really enjoy. That can be very therapeutic without any professional help. But having something that they really feel very strongly about, very passionate about, they don't have to be good at it. They just feel so intrinsically rewarded. Could be a sport, could be an instrument, could be a who knows what. And it takes exposing them to a few different things to see if you can get them to latch, really latch on to something. Could be model building, who knows. But I think for a lot of kids, what they really need more if they're not in that kind of severe distress is just um, just sort of a sense of safety and security and the ability to know that they can have someone to talk to at home um, and that th- there's no pressure to be a certain way. They don't have to be on and happy all the time. I think it's okay. What we need to do is raise emotionally intelligent children, and that means helping them understand that as a human, especially as we age into adulthood, we experience both positive and negative emotions. And that's just part of the human experience. And we need to sort of, again, as long as those negatives aren't totally amplified or disproportionate or or becoming a health issue, um, that's kind of just the way it is. (laughs) And we have to help them realize that and accept it and, and push through it so that they build that kind of resilience. I think that's more of what kids need often, uh, much of the time. Relationship and parenting expert, Dr. Natasha Sharma is with us. And Joan is on the line in Burlington. Joan, go ahead. Hi. It's, it's been a kind of a, a sad family weekend for us. Um, I have 14 grandchildren, and two of them lost their, grand, their grandmothers, one on Friday and one last night. And of all my grandchildren, only two of them have two grandparents left. Oh, yes. And we're, we're a very close family. We get together often. And believe it or not, I mean, of all my even great-grandchildren that I have, um, there's never in, any infighting. I have divorced children, but they all get along well together. Oh, that's great. But, but, uh, but your heart uh, breaks for your, for your grandkids, right? For their loss. That yeah. weekend, yeah. Yeah. So well, we thank- have a funeral tomorrow and another funeral later in the week. So, you know, it's kind of a, been a sad time for all of us. Well, Joan, thank you for calling and, and sharing your feelings with us, and all the best with the funerals. That will be a difficult time. It will be. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. 
You know, that reminds me, Dr. Sharma, when my mom died um, and how, you know, of course, I was had my own loss of losing my mom, but I felt so badly for my children who luckily were able to experience my mom up into their teenage years and how horrible that was for them to lose their grandmother. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, what do you do in that situation? I mean, expressing, trying to get them to talk about her and remember her. And, you know, we still do that, obviously, talk yeah. and remember her and the things she did that were special and what made their lives better because of her. It, you know, it can be a really difficult thing to navigate when you yourself as the parent are also grieving that loss. Um It may or may not surprise listeners to know that kids, even though they may be feeling that loss significantly, are actually probably more concerned about their parent. It's just very natural. It's very innate. It's very primal. Um, Kids are very protective of their parents and their their mental state. And I can remember when my when I came home one day in high school and I couldn't find my mom and she was off in a room some in her bedroom. And when I found her, she was laying on the bed crying. And it was because my her mother had died. And um, now in my situation, and I'm sure some listeners can relate as well. I didn't actually know my grandmother. She lived in India. I visited her a handful of times. So we didn't have that attachment that would, um, you know, cause me to experience that grief. But what was very disconcerting for me, of course, was to see my mother, who was clearly in grief. So yes. I think that's a really important thing um, to take away is that sometimes, yes, a child feels that attachment. And sometimes they're really concerned about the parent. And how do you grieve? Allow yourself to do that while at the same time time not freaking your child right not freaking your child and, out right and making it a traumatic memory mm-hmm. yeah I, I remember that day like there's you know th- sure. these things stick out they yeah. they imprint on you mm-hmm. um in the interest of time i do want to talk about the unique stressors facing families in 2020 i mm-hmm. bet you're going to talk about screen time because it seems like everybody has a screen attached to them in in some form or another and that is always vying for the attention of the individuals within the group yeah. You know what? I wasn't, it, it's not on my list. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. It's, it's the screen yeah. time. I, I, I do think it adds a layer, but I think that the stressors, the main ones that I have, I think are uh, independent of, of screen time um, to, to a certain extent. I think the number one thing is the lack of connection and increased isolation mm. that we see in modern parenting. And um, this is very much more a sort of the Western world's approach. This isn't necessarily a universal thing, but um, we've seen that trend for the past, you know, 50 to 75 years. It's not something that just happened with the tech, the digital age, where families, and we live in a very individualistic society. North America's culture is to do it yourself. And you know that's the that's the mission statement, and I think that um, while that has positive thing aspects as a family, um, working so long and not making the time that other cultures clearly do to socialize and to nurture friendships um, is a more recent trend. So I think they find themselves more isolated. I also think that there is I, we talked about parents being very busy and that actually taking a toll on their mental and emotional health, which then sort of transfers to the family life and children. And the third one is sort of an over identification with being a parent that we talked about that flip from 180 degrees over to where the good thing is we're being more mindful, we want to parent consciously and more positively and based on science and all the good research that's coming out on how to actually do this attentively and, and properly. But now there's this over-identification and over-scrutinization of one's own parenting, and it's in some circles led to 
parenting being like almost like a competitive sport. Sure. (laughs) Which is not healthy for anybody. No. Um, In terms of family life for couples, uh, there are many people who do not have children. Either they choose not to have children or they are uh, unable to and don't choose to adopt. Uh, What do you say to people whose family is their partner, their husband, wife, their common law partner mm-hmm. um, what in terms of f- feeling that fulfilled family life and not to feel regret or remorse about what didn't or didn't you know was mm-hmm. did not come to pass mm-hmm. I think it it's you know, about ensuring once again that we have a full life with a full community and having an a connection to our community is, I strongly believe, is something that's sorely lacking. And I've felt that for a number of years, which is part of the reason that I um, created the Kindness Journal. But it's it's been a part of, of, of a really strong aspect of my work and, and my voice for a while. Um, as couples who are older, at actually at any age, but certainly um, what we know from research is that as we age and get older, our connection to people, whether we have kids or not, this actually applies to both. Um, the connection to our community and um, establishing roots and connection to our neighborhood, uh, the city we live in, choose to live in in the world, and the people that are in it is extremely crucial in terms of happiness and mental mm-hmm. health. So th- I, think the, I think the age um, cited in one study was post-50 or 55 that the correlation between one's personal happiness and the quality of their friendships becomes the biggest predictor of their emotional health. So in a nutshell, be good to your friends, make like you don't have to make tons of friends, but make friends and keep them, nurture them, make sure they fill you up, you know, that they, you mutually add value to each other's lives and make them your family, make them your extended family. And we're seeing, I think, more, I think the light bulbs are going on because mm-hmm. I'm seeing this, these co-living stories and these, of these like women in their 70s who just decide to get a house and they're going to live together. And I think that that's, you know, um, I think it's very important. What a great Great way to end the show. Uh, other than your contact information, <laughs> uh, Dr. Natasha Sharma has been with us here on Fight Back the last half hour. Should you want to reach out to her uh, for um, any kind of guidance or therapy, um, the information, uh, what information can you give us? Uh, you can go to thekindnessjournal.com and you can also go to natashasharma.com. Those are my two main homes on the web. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Thank you so much. I I feel like there was so much more we can talk about. You'll come back and visit us another time. Anytime. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.